0: The way work is getting done is increasingly flexible, independent. It gives the worker the choice and that choice can serve both the worker and the end enterprise. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful.
1: Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking.
0: Good experience pays dividends down the line.
1: Here is tend to break down on proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, everyone. Welcome to We're Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad to have you here. It's going to be a great discussion today, as always. Today, I'm talking to Dan Beck. He's the co-founder and CEO of Utmost, and today we're going to talk about, goodness, I want to say side hustles or gig workers, things like that. I'm trying to cast a big net here because I, I've had some conversations even in the last 24 hours with different people that are they're talking about, hey, I'm doing this job, but I'm also doing other things and so I'm really curious to, to look at what's happening in that space, what's happening with the contingent workforce, the extended workforce, whatever you'd like to call it. We'll, we'll go through probably a couple different iterations of that today in the discussion. We're going to talk about what's happening there broadly. And we're also going to look at why companies in the past have not had a handle on that segment of the workforce, because believe it or not, so whether we class, however you want to classify them, they're part of the workforce. They're responsible for projects. They're They're doing tasks. They're getting things done. And yet, sometimes it's just outside that bubble that HR has set for how work gets done. They're not looking at measuring those things. We're talk about why there's is an issue, and maybe how to resolve that, again, with some of the work that Utmost is up to. So Dan, welcome to the conversation, sir. I'm glad to have you. Thank you, Ben. Great to be here. So go ahead and kick us off. Tell us a little about who you are and what you do before we dive into some of the nuts and bolts today.
0: Yeah, so Utmost as a company, we're focused on the extended workforce. We have a broad definition. Think of it as all of the non-employees that are doing work for the enterprise. So it's your contingent workers, your service based contracts, those consultants, contractors, freelancers, of course, gig workers, direct relationships. And we have built the business with the thesis that it's time for new solutions to manage that growing and mission critical population and done right, that these are solutions that really serve A broader definition of the hr function with hr looking across all work getting done and an entire workforce population not just an employee population we've been at it for two years we're an early days uh, series a funded startup and yeah that's that's what we're up to
1: when you're not eating sleeping drinking breathing utmost and this extended workforce piece what do you like to do dan
0: yeah, I uh, like you, Ben. I like to jog. I uh, occasionally will muster up to an endurance race, like a Spartan race, which is great fun. I have a new COVID nineteen related uh, hobby, however, which is bird watching, and so I'm getting into birding. And if I if it all interested for your very active listening audience, I would recommend the Cornell School of Ornithology as having a great set of online birding courses if if people want to get in that is so much fun
1: my my son has he found my binoculars recently it's like what can i do with these My like goodness um, i guess we can go outside and look at things and uh he ended up on birds and so we went for a walk looking at them and looking for them and trying to, to figure out what they were so i'll have to want to circle back on that and revisit it because he might be in the next whatever the um, virtuoso of bird watching is maybe that's his future who knows but fun that's really interesting so let's Damn, that's
0: it that's that's the it's my birthday today and that's I, I kid you not that is the one gift i've asked for from my wife so I'm, I'm i'm cautiously optimistic that i might get some binoculars for birding
1: this is going to be the birthday you never forget not only for binoculars <laughs> and birding but also for being on the, the greatest gift ever which is getting to be interviewed on the we're only human podcast so i'm glad to have you here and happy birthday to you
0: Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for making it so special for me.
1: Absolutely. We aim to please here. So you mentioned COVID a minute ago, right? This new COVID hobby. And I'd love for you to talk about that in a broader context, because there's this need for organizations to be flexible right now more so than ever we've always talked about it and it's been this buzzword but this year we've seen what happens if you're not and we've seen this incredible demand for it and so i'd love for you to talk about some of the things that you're seeing from your perspective because you have this unique perch where you're talking to these customers you're interacting with with people that are trying to solve problems around that i'd love to hear from you what you're seeing there and what sort of uh, impact you're seeing
0: yeah the highest level as Candidly, as HR leaders who have been massively impacted by COVID, primarily taking the lead for COVID responses within their employee population and strategies and plans and back to work plans now in earnest, but also then a twin set of activities related to social justice and the need for thinking about diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging. HR has been very busy in 2020. And what's now What we're seeing is HR is coming around to a belief that because of COVID and because of the massive shift to an ever more distributed population of workers and work getting done, that it's an opportunity to rethink how they get their workforce built, how to optimize the mix. And so it's just a huge opportunity. And what we see tactically is better part of five years of ongoing trends compressed into the last seven, eight months, and it's making its way into the senior ranks of HR in the form of a willingness to explore where work gets done. So obviously with an eye towards remote work, it's a willingness to rethink their workforce with respect to employees versus non-employees, particularly if you have a global pool of talent. And I think just candidly, a recognition that some of the pressures that COVID put on the businesses highlighted how fragile some of their processes were. I'll give an example. We very commonly talk to companies we are in the extended workforce business, we're focused on those non-employee populations. All onboarding for this one very large company was done in person. And so what do you do when suddenly you have a contractor that's onboarding remotely? And so just having to think through those processes, think through how to do a true end-to-end digital onboarding it's a tactical example, but I'd say highest level COVID is creating an opportunity to rethink how work's getting done. And we think actually for the better, we think that's going to result in more, not just more agile workforces, but a different workforce mix, meaning a mix between employees and non-employees. And of course, more use of digital tools to ensure connectivity, ensure engagement, ensure what's going on out there in your increasingly distributed workforce. Well, that one
1: small example of one specific process on an individual level, let's onboard this one person, let's figure out how to do that. When you start rolling that up into any number of talent processes, it seems infinite, right? The larger you go in terms of the companies, the more variations and varieties of those they have, and everyone has, every single business unit has their own unique spin on that and how they want to handle that. And then you start thinking about that broadly across the organization for all the different types of non-employees they have. And it really starts to paint this picture that, goodness gracious, we, we thought it was hard just managing the employee side of things. But employees, you have an employee or you have a part-time employee or not. But there's, you mentioned four or five different categories or more, even when you were going through that list earlier of different ways people can fit into that extended workforce, that we sometimes just forget how complex even that is in terms of its makeup. And again, it's, it's exponentially more challenging to try to keep your fingers, keep your hands on all the different processes and practices and keep them all straight.
0: Yeah. And this is one of the reasons we started the business, Ben. If you look at, if you just take a, a true longitudinal view of this, take a 20-year view of workforce composition. If you go back 20 years, approximately 2% of the working population was what we we're calling extended. Primarily it was temp staff All Remember when it was like the word temp and so, so someone to come in and primarily mm-hmm. do clerical work for you. Uh, 20 years ago. And then about a decade ago, it was 10% of the working population. So a very sizable increase. These days it's around 43%, and that was pre-COVID. And, and what we're seeing, and this is true for my little business, which is we're 3x the other direction, meaning, you know, of our employee population, we have three times that population doing workforce at different points of the year with different skill sets and different capacities with all kinds of different working relationships. Some are direct relationships with a direct contract. Some are little corporations with small groups of people think small partnerships. Some are very large consultancies and it's across the board. But I, I do think that's why we started the business. And as we get into and identify more and more use cases, it, it blows your mind. It blows your mind how complicated business is. And, and we think that's great. We think that the companies of the future are going to compete, of course, on their products and services, but that they're going to deliver those products and services more effectively and more efficiently with an increasing reliance on non employee labor. And that, that that labor pool, that new pool of talent, will increasingly be thought of as a valuable resource. Not just for say cost reduction or better bang for the buck, but as a valuable resource to tap into as required to get work done.
1: I was gonna say we we did a study last year of around a single type of job role and asked employers why they why they were more likely to look for external Again, non employee types of talent for that. And why would you go for that? And the overwhelming reason was we want to be more strategic. We want to have a bigger impact. And nobody gets into business to, I was making the joke earlier today with someone else on a call. No one gets into business because they want to get into it for the compliance or for the accounting or for the record keeping. You get into it to do whatever your core business is. And then you end up having to do those things as a byproduct. And so it was about how do we get back to doing that thing that we do better than anybody else and use those other types of talent, types of. Resources, time for labor, whatever you want to call it, to get those things done. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, it's fresh, brand new, but I'm kind of curious how this plays into the bigger equation is California just passed, I believe it's Prop 22. What does that mean for this non employee labor source and how employers can work with them? What, just what's your take on that broadly? Because I think you have a probably have a pretty good perspective on that as someone who's dealing with companies that that work there obviously and also yeah that's right no
0: it's it's a it's another example of in a way california taking the lead with with legislation that we think will be then replicated certainly across the u.s possibly globally Uh, a week ago today california has a series of ballot propositions and as part of the election cycle this year one of the propositions prop 22 was essentially focused on gig labor now in fairness the proposition was sponsored by companies like uber and lyft and doordash which have very sizable working populations that are gig workers and it was to find some middle ground between everyone's an employee or everyone's not an employee and employees get benefits and non-employees don't and to create a middle ground where Gig workers can receive benefits. Gig workers can receive workers comp. Gig workers can receive some component of, of a traditional benefits package after certain criteria are met. And so what's interesting to us about this, and I I think this will play out is it creates the possibility for a new classification of worker. And we see this as just a harbinger of more to come in that it's codifying the thought that gig work is here to stay. And we think that creates new possibilities for how companies leverage workers to get things done. I think there is a doom and gloom view of this, which I do not subscribe to, which is big evil corporations taking advantage of workers and not giving them benefits. I think now while there's always a struggle there, we see this more as a recognition that the way work is getting done is increasingly flexible It's independent, it gives the worker the choice, and that choice can serve both the worker and the end enterprise. And we think that's a good thing. Tactically speaking, we think it can be good for our little business in that it's another example of a regulatory change that companies can benefit from, but they need to stay abreast of. And history is any example, as California passes ballot propositions like this, there'll be sister legislation, in other states and then ultimately at the federal level. We'll yes. catch up. Yes. So we'll, see, we'll see kind of what happens at the federal level, a lot of churn in the last seven days there, but certainly I'd say I would summarize by saying Prop 22 passing in California, I think is a very tangible recognition that the, the way work is getting done is changing. It's increasingly independent. It's increasingly focused on gig and freelance work and that now legislation is gonna catch up to that market reality.
1: One of the things that you said a moment ago was HR needs to be aware of these things. We've gotta keep our finger on the pulse. And one of the things that you and I have actually talked about before, and I'm curious to explore the discussion here, is in the past, I've been an HR leader. And so sometimes I paint with a broad brush and talk about my experiences there. And I know that personally, when I worked in, in the field, we stayed away from managing this into workforce, right? They're not employees. We don't need to have our hands on that. We're trying to keep them separate for compliance reasons. And that's in general why I did it, but I'm curious, what's your perspective on that? Why is HR stayed away from helping to manage when, manage this resource? Because I pointed out earlier, it's, this is part of the talent that gets work done as business and we all, we, we want to own the talent piece of things, but then shy away from that a little bit. And I'm curious how you see utmost playing into that equation.
0: Yeah, we see this as a new opportunity, a growing opportunity for HR executives. And yet historically, you're exactly right, Ben. You were there and I've variously heard it referred that way, or it's a hot potato, like who's going to, who's going to own the contingent workforce program. And what we're seeing in in fairness in forward-looking HR leaders is that they're not treating this as a, a body of work that they don't want to manage. They're increasingly coming around to the thought that the way they're getting work done is via the extended workforce and that as you have 20, 30, 40% of your working population as non-employees, if you're the chief people officer, aren't they people too? Shouldn't you be thinking about them? Very commonly in tech here, tech companies will have over half of their working population is non-employee, and in fact, our first customer is 10x the other direction, 10 times of their work, 10 10x their working population is non-employee versus employee. A company called Colonial Life, and so there's just a sheer volume of it. Where, if you're the chief people officer, it makes sense to to think about this. I think there's a real opportunity though, strategically. There's an opportunity where it's not just about outsourcing things because you want to focus on your core competency. It there's one of the primary reasons, and this is backed up in research from folks like Josh Burson, from Gartner, the list goes on, is because you're getting skills you can't hire for. So increasingly there's an elite group of individuals out there that are prefer to be independent or prefer to be in their little consultancy. And you want to bring them in as needed for specific project work. Do you think that the mindset you articulated earlier is still there. But with the changes we talked about earlier with COVID, the changes we talked about Prop 22 and beyond, the sort of legislative changes tied to employment law, we think there's just an opportunity to essentially at the very highest level, I've heard one, one CHRO said this very articulately, and she said, look, the role of HR at its highest level is, connect, is to connect our people plan to our company strategy. What are we trying to get done as a strategy? And if Just pick a number. It's not too hard to imagine an inflection point where the majority of the working population is in fact in the extended workforce is non-employee. And so of course, HR then can take the lead saying, how are we going to map that people plan independent of whether they're full-time, part-time, you know, contingent, staff, different classifications, different names for it. But that's still how you're meeting your strategic objectives. I will also say, Ben, you can appreciate this given your pedigree. There's a ton of objectives that CHROs have that we see getting met via the extended workforce. One of the trends, for example, specifically is that continued workforce programs inside of large organizations are increasingly reporting to HR via a talent acquisition umbrella, because it turns out that your non-employee population is a great source for your hiring. You have someone come and do some work for you for six months, a year, nine months, and, and then you hire them. And one, one interesting trend that's very appropriate now in this, this area, I think, of heightened awareness for social justice is how the extended workforce can complement a company's diversity and inclusion strategies. You know, don't just think of this as a chance for diverse suppliers of, you know, say, suppliers that you, you bring on to bring talent. Like why not just think of your total working population as part of your d objectives?
1: I actually had an interview recently with the team at uh, Decatur Pharmaceuticals, and that was one of the things they talked about, actually, was they are now looking at, they said, everybody wants to start with hiring, but they're like, we've got that pretty squared away. Where we're other areas can we make improvements there? And they actually started looking at supplier relationships and how they, like, you know, no one ever actually captures that kind of data in the past and uses that to make sure that they're trying to be equitable there. And so that's actually an area they're focusing on to to make sure they're they're illustrating this across the business. And they said one of the good things is when they kind of clue managers in, that becomes an opportunity for them. They latch onto it and want to want to support. They want to help. But until then they didn't realize that was an actually an area they could contribute and and uh, make some sort of change or impact there. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I'd forgotten about their story, but that was a there's a, there are companies that are trying to do that as well. There was a, a couple of years ago I had a customer that was trying to hire a cybersecurity a couple of cybersecurity roles in the DC area. And mm-hmm. when you mentioned a minute ago that there are people that like they want to be their own company, they want to be their own boss, they want that flexibility, and they're, they're not going to be an employee for anyone, even if they have those amazing skills we need. And that was the first exposure I had to that, because I said, let me listen in to your recruiters as they're having these calls and see what it, it sounds like, because I'm, I've recruited, surely we can figure this out. And It was a very different experience than what I had come to expect there. They're, they're giving them a call and it's, Hey, yes, I'd love to do that work for you. I'll work this many hours a week. Here's my contract rate. I can send you a statement of work and like, no, no, we want you to hire you. No, not going to happen. I'm not an employee. I do this. And at the time they're put off by that, but eventually they realize like, Hey, this, if we want these two or three people, we don't need them full-time. We need them for a certain amount of time for those specific skills. And that open that door to getting them for a rate that was actually cheaper than hiring a full-time. So it's fun to see how those things can can play out and actually lead to to better results, better impacts than you thought you would have than just hiring that person outright and sticking them into a job and then having to make sure you're feeding them month after month because you've committed to doing that.
0: No, well, that's right. I'll tell you a story. Even our little business, when we were getting going, we brought on a contract designer for five weeks and she was very clear. She's look, I do five week gigs. That's it. I do full-time, but five weeks. And, and after an initial go, we'll take an assessment. Do we want to do another five weeks? And I'll tell you what, she was fantastic. And on the side, she was like, she had a house project. She was restoring an old Victorian. And it's one of these things where if you take the thesis that, a growing size of the total workforce, possibly a majority of the workforce are are not going to be employees. And you'd also combine that with the thought that maybe not all, but certainly some core element of that extended workforce, that non employee workforce has skills you cannot hire, then suddenly, it's about being a place that that kind of talent wants to work, right? It's about winning the war for talent for these gig workers, freelancers, contractors, consultants, that you want to come work on your project, right? To do your cybersecurity, to take your example, to do the design work that we wanna get done. And so it's an interesting, I'd say evolution of thought, and who better to own that than the chief people officer, that the chief people officer as a general rule would say, look, we're responsible for experience. We care about the experience. And we're seeing more chief people officers come around to that thought of, the experience I wanted to apply to all people working for my brand and that this is in fact impacting my brand and that of course to be clear this space requires a close partnership with procurement and finance and in fact I've heard people say procurement will own the processes and HR will own the experience but I do think if you just play that out at a meta level it, it creates an environment where it's in the company's best interest to that kind of external talent. And then, importantly, and this is very true in our world, mobilize the talent when needed. You don't need that cybersecurity person perhaps all the time. Maybe it's just for a penetration test or a remediation. Same with the designer. Maybe it's just when we're exploring a new product introduction. And that's exciting. As we get into this today, there are, we have a large customer going live and it's uh, less than a month's time now. And they're a big healthcare delivery network. There are, physicians in their delivery rooms delivering babies today that are non-employees and so the nature and the complexity and the expansiveness of the extended workforce it's already here and part of our thinking is hr is the right function to lead and yet they need better tools to do i mean that of course it's a plug for utmost but tools like utmost that's bring this together for a total workforce
1: view there aren't that many tools to help that's why i'm glad to have this conversation today because there there aren't that many tools to really enable that. Plenty of services out there and things like that, but not a lot of tools and technologies that can scale up and support a large company that has, in the example you gave earlier, I think you said they were one of the early customers had 10 times as many non-employees to employees that they're trying to manage and support. And for the people listening to this, imagine right now how many different people you have that fall into those buckets that Dan mentioned earlier. Contractors, consultants, service providers, partners, uh, all those different things that that, feel, that factor into how work gets done. And you realize pretty quickly that it becomes a, a very challenging picture to, to wrap your arms around. One of the things, well,
0: Dan- we, you know, we talked about the skills is a huge focus and skills and uh, from a total workforce planning perspective, I think is a very fruitful, very interesting topic. But there's also an important, important importantly, there's certifications, right? There's, are they qualified to do the work? Yes, they don't work for you. Uh, from an employment, say a W-2 classification in the U.S. perspective, but you're still on the hook to prove that they're certified to do the thing they're doing for you, and so that's also this interesting reality, which is we believe in a worker-centric view, that you, Ben, I, we're all more than a rate card. We have hopes, we have dreams, we have preferences, we have skills, uh, we have availability. That that when you want to work, when does that cybersecurity person want to be available, and that to me is how this can be a win for both the worker and the enterprise, where you know you bring it together in a way to say, look, I've got these certifications. This is when I'm available. And really what the end enterprise is doing is mobilizing the right talent to get the right job done. And then understanding how that all comes together, right? From a total workforce optimization, what's the workforce blend, the workforce mix.
1: Is there a customer or a company you can talk about that you're or that you're seeing some really interesting things, some, maybe some forward thinking organization that's looking at this in a unique way. Cause I know that every time you and I have a conversation, you have another example to drop to me, like here's someone else that's doing this. And I'm always amazed and I'm taking a bunch of notes. So I'd love if you don't mind to share a story there that might help to highlight this and show it rolling out in a practical sense.
0: Yeah, so our, our first customer is a company named Colonial Life. They're the one with the the 10X, the other direction they have 14,000 independent sales agents that sell their insurance products. And they would say they have 1,400 employees serving that 14,000. But it's even more complicated than that, which is, we think, very interesting in that you both have Colonial Life, the corporate entity with the numbers I just mentioned, but in point of fact, the way they actually engage with selling their product and serving their customers is via a network of in healthcare counselors and health insurance brokers. And what's interesting about that is, I guess I'd say at the very highest level, what's interesting about that is that the way they actually go to market, the way their business actually runs is this massive combination of not just the independent sales agents, but these insurance brokers and health counselors all coming together to serve the end customer and that's what's great about I think the extended workforce which is as soon as you go past the boundaries of your corporation the way work is actually getting done is really interesting and and we think really complicated and that's a kind of if you will solution we have built into utmost is to support this n-dimensional business relationship the subcontractor the freelance network the insurance independent agent selling product with health brokers insurance brokers etc and these are again thousands the population is in the thousands so that's one we have a couple more that are in production that have great use cases we're not able to say their names let me just describe what's going on with them one is just a very large industrial manufacturer they have operations all around the globe. They're in 70 countries, and we are serving them with populations currently in Southeast Asia. And what's interesting about that is they just have workers and work in so many different geos, and it's just hard to keep your hands around it and to make sure that in this case, it's a straight compliance. Are they trained? Are they certified? Are they compliant? But what's interesting about it is there are, as you can imagine, Ben, you've probably lived this in your, your prior roles. There are country-specific compliance needs that they need to adhere to across the 70 countries they're in. And so we're starting with 10 Southeast Asian countries for them. We'll expand from there. One that I'm particularly excited about is this healthcare entity that I've alluded to. The most interesting part of their use case, I mentioned the certification needs. I think that's self-evident. You want to know that physician you're seeing is qualified to, to deliver care or same nurse practitioner, but they've got a really interesting use case of individuals who are both an active employee and a non-employee at the same time. So they've got a population of 15,000 non-employees, 3,000 of whom are students, but 1,300 of those students are actual nurse practitioners that are simultaneously an employee for the company as a nurse, and then they are a student, a non-employee getting certification units for the next level of of their training. And so that blew our mind that actually required us to invest further in our definition of how complicated the global work graph can be. But that was an interesting one because I, I think just the thought of someone from an employment classification simultaneously being an employee and a non-employee at the same time, not just two different roles with two different pay rates, but two different employment classifications. That was a great one. And I don't know, two, two or three examples to share and more to come.
1: <laughs> More to come. I love those because they help illustrate how varied this conversation can be. We, You and I have touched on it a couple of times that this is, it's not like there's two different models for how this can look. And, and suddenly you step over into one by making a conscious choice. Sometimes it's, Hey, we, we have these as you're, the nurse practitioner example, and suddenly they're going back to school and they're a different, they're a different population. And you might just you've never planned for that. You never realized that. Obviously that was a surprise for, for you and the team to realize Oh, this is a new, different use case. And there are probably other healthcare systems that have that same thing that they're they're dealing with and struggling with. But until they started running into that as an organization, they probably had never thought of that either. So there's so much complexity there and, and opportunities to really manage that. So someone's listening to the discussion today. They're curious about utmost or what you guys are up to. What's the best way to get in touch or learn more?
0: easy if they're keen just reach out to sales at utmost.co we are a startup so we're cheap and cheerful there ben we can't afford the full.com but utmost.co is the way or more simply dan at utmost.co if you want to reach me directly we're a small team we're nimble and we'd love to yeah we'd love to to hear from that and I, i'll just say one more thing ben that's that's interesting to me as i think about this we talk about our worker-centric view part of this is even just understanding on a human level, like. How is work getting done? You know, where are the projects? Who's running the project? One one thing that's very, I'd say, specific to this market is, there's always an intermediary, if that makes sense. There's 20,000 staffing firms in the US. There are consultancies. McKinsey Global Institute recently came out with a study. So there's 165 million independent workers in the US and the EU alone. And so sometimes the entity is, like Ben's consultancy, or Ben's LLC, or Ben's large consulting firm, or the the list goes on and on. And so I think part of what we've tried to do as a company is to help bring that together with your traditional, if you will, org chart view of the world, right? And so if you looked at our product, you would have a view of the entire workforce, usually for the first time a company's ever seen that, And then the ability to dive into that and see, okay, Dan's LLC is reporting up to Ben doing whatever work you've contracted for me to do effective for whatever that period of time is. And so we're kind of building what we would call the global work graph, where where this rich texture of workers come together to serve enterprises with some sort of staffing firm, consultancy, managed service provider, sometimes many the managed service provider with the staffing firm to the worker, right? In the middle. And that's what makes it fun and complicated. And I just say that because there's a very human side of this at the end of the day, say, I am still doing work for you or that cyber security consultant or that designer I mentioned, but it's like how it all comes together and how it all comes together dynamically and quickly is part of the challenge that, that we are on to, to serve customers to achieve.
1: I'll go ahead and, and admit that when I actually got a chance to see that, like when we did a briefing together, did a demo, uh, I talked to a lot of providers, see a lot of products. And when that, that was the piece that really made it click for me is seeing that org chart in one place where you can see this is what the organization looks like. Oh, and by the way, here's all those non-employee talent resources that are reporting up into this org structure. And suddenly you start to realize if you just immediately peeled that away and that layer wasn't there, you'd be missing this huge picture of what's actually happening and how the work's getting done. So that's the piece that really made it stick for me. I'm a visual kind of person. And that's what hit me. I'm glad you mentioned that.
0: Super happy to hear that. Yeah. It's, I can tell you, I was, thankfully I was in the room with our champion for colonial life. Our first customer when they went live last December and it was a real, it was a real sit forward in the chair moment when they saw for the first time their working population in one place, employees and non-employees across their, they have, 500 plus divisions across the U.S. and and it was great to see that on the map to drill into to see the players and keep in mind the the non-employees report to the non-employees. It's not just cl- the clean example I gave me reporting to you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes many levels deep of the extended workforce reporting to members of the extended workforce, all serving your business objectives. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see. I'm glad you had that experience. It is a sit forward in the chair moment when you see that the full global work graph in the org chart.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Dan. This is, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate your insights and you're, I'm a sucker for a good story and you've always delivered on that. So I appreciate you sharing some of those examples and stories with us today too. This has been a great conversation.
0: Thank you, Ben. Next time I'll tell you about when I flew POTUS around. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh goodness gracious gotta love a good inside joke dan this has been phenomenal thank you to the utmost team for for putting us in touch and to everybody else out there listening in thank you so much for joining us and on we're only human i'm ben you your host and we will catch you next time thank you so much for joining me on the show today i'm honored to have you as a listener if you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanshow.com.